In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday! Uh, let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And what's getting me through this week, and frankly the last probably month now, is The Last Dance, uh, which is the documentary on ESPN about Michael Jordan's final season with the Chicago Bulls. Um, it is amazing. It is very fascinating. I've loved every second of it. I look forward to it every Sunday. It's one of the few TV things on now that I'm very much looking forward to every week that I plan my calendar around. So if you haven't seen it yet, see it. It's If you are into sports, it's wonderful. I'm Brian Truitt, and I watch movies. Um, and what's getting me um, through this week is uh, Home Before Dark, which is – I, I, I I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast before. I might have. I who knows what day it is half the time anymore. But um, it's a new Apple TV, Apple TV Plus series um, that's produced by John Chu, and it's about it's it's based on a real life story about a little girl who who um, is quite the investigative journalist, and she moves with her family to the kind of a small town, and like the small town's like full of like weirdness and murder and all kind of stuff. Um, and she pretty much like turns into like like a Nancy Drew detective journalist person, you know, and like is really good at it. And so it's 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 kind of it's kind of formulaic in, in some places, but like it's kind of interesting because we haven't had anything like that in a while to watch. So yeah, it's uh, so I like I've been through that real quick, you know, doing Legos and. Yeah, just streaming movies, man. That's that's what's keeping me busy. Streaming away. Good fun times, fun times. Um, if this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, we would absolutely love it if you write a quick review about the show. Not only do you help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us, as a bonus, we give you a very special shout-out. Even if you have a not-so-great review, we read it anyway. We love you guys that much. Um, so try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod, or you can email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. On to the main topic this week. Here's a clip. A lot of people don't know about organized crime in the South. It's that it's not that organized. What's with the cones? I thought the randomness of it might throw off a cop. I guess that's smart. I'm near the bottom rung of an outfit run by a man I've never met before, a man named Frog. I'm the boss. You may never refuse an order, and you may never quit. Pat Bright, park ranger. I'm with Frog. I've been ordered to intervene. Do not socialize with the locals. Do not draw attention to yourself. This is creepy. Do you like creepy? You decide to run off, I will hunt you down, and I'll kill you. Are you going to die? Most likely. 
That was from Arkansas, the Southern Dark Comedy streaming now that stars Liam Hemsworth and Clark Duke as a couple of young criminals working for a drug kingpin named Frog, played by Vince Vaughn. Clark, whom you might know from Hot Tub Time Machine and Kick-Ass, or on TV through The Office and Greek, also wrote and directed Arkansas as his first feature, and he is our special guest on The Mothership to talk all about it. Clark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So how are you holding up during this quarantine? I think the exact same as everyone else. <laughs> uh, just dealing with it. I, I don't know. It's um, Now that you know, I'm out in L.A. and now that the weather's turned really nice, uh, it's like in the 80s every day. I think it's going to get way harder for everybody to, to stay inside. I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's surreal. It's like I said to somebody, I was like, you might as well not ask, like, how are you anymore? Because it's like everyone's the same. We're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we know you from, you know, so many shows and movies, but have you always wanted to be a director? Was that like a long time dream? You're finally kind of like living now? Very much so. Yeah. I, I since I was uh, like 12 years old, I wanted to be a movie director. Yeah. Was there one movie or one director that kind of like was the guy or, or the movie that kind of really hooked you and to be like, I want to do that, you know, later on in my life? I think for me it was um, it, it was a bunch of guys, but it was kind of that mid '90s Miramax Rebels on the Backlot class of directors, like your Steven Soderbergh, Tarantino, the Coen Brothers, Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, all those guys, um, Paul Thomas Anderson. Th- those guys all got me uh, into like the idea of just just the idea of like, oh, this is what a director does. Like these movies are good because of you know this is who directed them. And then from there, you kind of, uh, you know, I went to film school. And then from there, you kind of get into um, the guys that were the influences on those guys you like. So from there, you go to, you know, Robert Altman and Scorsese. And uh, I got really into Sergio Leone and the Spaghetti Westerns and um, the Palma. Just kind of the the classic uh, 70s American cinema guys. Cool. So uh, let's talk about Arkansas. What inspired the story for this feature? So Arkansas is an adaptation from a book uh, called Arkansas by John Brandon that I read about 10 years ago when the book came out and I, I immediately bought the rights to it. Um, but then I'm also from Arkansas and most of the book takes place in and around Hot Springs where, uh, where I was born. And my grandfather was this tertiary Dixie Mafia character. So I'd always wanted to write something about him anyway, but I could never really figure out what the like, angle into it was so then when I read the book and I saw the frog character I was like well this is thematically you know and like geographically um the 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 areas I wanted to talk about anyway but it's already got this incredible dialogue uh and and I like the structure I thought was so cool and and it it felt like a western to me it reminded me of a lot of stuff I loved like it reminded me of Once Upon a Time in the West it reminded me of um Thieves Like Us by Altman and I just, I just fell in love with it. Um, and yeah, like I said, bought the rights and I've spent the last decade trying to get it made in some form or fashion. So when you were, when you were writing, did you have Swin in, in mind for yourself or had you been thinking about like another character? I, I wrote Swin for myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I kind of knew nobody else was going to write me a part this good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause you, you know, you just kind of fall into this, um, this rut of people just kind of know you for doing one thing and then that's all you get called and asked to do again. Um, and I had got, you know, just to be honest, really burned out with, um, 
with kind of acting in general until I did I'm dying up here. Um, I mean, there was, there was stuff I loved. Like I had a, I had such a blast on the office. I had, I had a really great time on two and a half men. Um, just cause like multicam in front of the audience was so fun, but by and large, I got really fried on, it just, I just felt like I clearly kind of hit, you know, you just ever, you just kind of run into, like I said, this rut of like your thought of a certain way and that's it. So yeah, I, I definitely wrote it for myself. Um, I don't know if the, well, I do know, I know like the financiers and the producers didn't want me to play the part. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I keep making this, I've said this a couple of times in interviews, but it's true. Like my own like agent was like, no, I don't think you should do it. Cause I think they were more concerned just as a first time director with, you know, it's just, it's a big undertaking. And it was, it, it was hard, but <clears throat> the only stuff I'd ever directed, I'd also been in like Clark and Michael. And then, you know, I've done sh over the years, like I've directed a bunch of stuff that nobody's seen basically besides, I mean, nobody saw Clark and Michael either for that matter, but you know, I directed Clark <laughs> and Michael. I've done a lot of stuff for funny or die. I've done a, a lot of short films, did a pilot. Um, and most, almost all that stuff I had also acted in. So for me, I, I kind of only knew how to direct while also acting. So I wasn't that scared of it. Um, you know, if you would have told me you're only going to sleep like three hours a night for, you know, a couple months, uh, you might, I might've rethought it, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm really glad I did it. I mean, in some ways it's almost easier because it's like, it's kind of one less person you have to direct. There was a real, I mean, there's tricky parts to it. Like I, I think I read Bradley Cooper say this in an interview, but I think he said like Robert Redford told him like the trick to like directing yourself is to make sure, make sure that you give yourself enough takes and focus on your own performance enough. Cause there's a real tendency and this is 100% like I was, I was, um, would catch myself doing this. There's a real tendency to like defer to the other actors performances. And I don't know if that's out of like wanting to seem, uh, like humble or, or, you're, or just you're not paying as much attention to it. But I, I made a real effort to like, okay, make sure you're happy with your own performance before we, you know, get out of the scene. Well, and it's such an interesting visual, you and Liam together, but also Swin has such a, such a cool kind of character arc with, with Eden who plays his, his love interest and kind of everything goes on there. I mean, even though he's not like Liam's quote unquote, the lead character, you've given yourself such an interesting B-plot and just so much kind of to do as that secondary character. He becomes a lead, too. I mean, I, I always thought the movie was more of an ensemble than anything just because the way it split up into chapters. Right, that's true. You're kind of not with anybody. Um, and so many of the movies I loved were like that. Like, um, I mean, Liam is your, like, kind of entry-level point-of-view character. Um, but, you know, I, the supporting characters are also fun and, and so, like, so like fleshed out and um, textured because you have people like John Malkovich and Vivica Fox and Michael Kenneth Williams playing them. Um, you know, one of the things I did to kind of help me with my character and kind of switch back and forth between the directing and the acting was, was to make him really specific, like with the wardrobe and the look and, you know, I wanted to physically look different than I had in other stuff. So it's like, it, it was really just me trying to do everything I possibly could to, uh, to kind of not be Clark, you know, as far as visually, um, the hair and the mustache and the costume and the jewelry. And plus I just like the dynamic of like this guy, you know, I always said Kyle and Swin make like one functioning person kind of, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and like Kyle, you know, Kyle's like tough, Swin's loud, um, and even just visually, you know, you couldn't get like you said a lot more different than me and Liam next to each other. <laughs> Somebody in one review it made me laugh so hard, or, or I think it was just like when the trailer came out. Somebody, I don't remember who it was, wrote like a twins-esque pairing. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because <laughs> I love that movie. Um, part of making the character so specific was just that it, it helped me kind of compartmentalize and like quickly like switch from being thinking as the director and like how's the flight to, okay, you got to get in character in 30 seconds. So like for me, putting the costume on, putting my, the hair and the, the bracelets and the jewelry and like all that, all that stuff really helped me as an actor. So there are a ton of talented folks in this cast, um, not only with Liam, but Vivica A. Fox, John Malkovich, Vince Vaughn, um, and also just on, and some of your other projects working with, with all the people that you've worked with previously. You know, how much did you learn being around these folks about acting and just being in the business? A lot. I mean, I think you got a huge leg up as a director, just um if, if you're an actor just because you 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 know you share the language like you know you know what they're going through you know like how how hard it can be and, and kind of what you what you need and don't need from um from a director sometimes like you know i, I learned a long time ago like, like a lot of times and, and i and i i really knew this more once i started directing um a lot of times if, if the director doesn't really give the actor any notes or say anything, it just means like you're doing great. I don't have to worry about you. I can worry about all these, these eight other things. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it'd be impossible like just being on set as much as I have to not pick up, not pick up some stuff. I would think so. Cause I've done like, I don't know. I've, I mean, I must've done like hundreds of hours of television at this point. So like from that, you know, you get a lot of really terrible directors in television. So it's like, you probably, uh, I learned more from the, you learn, you almost learn more what not to do from the really bad directors <laughs> than I did from like any like great ones I worked with uh, for the most part. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, kind of you're from Arkansas. I really like the epigraph you have at the beginning. I, I can't remember who, Charles I maybe, Portis. yeah. And about whether you want to come back or not, you know, you, it's hard to escape that velocity. Um, kind of what was your own experience like growing up in Arkansas and you know in in terms of that in terms of leaving there and wanting to come back and and your own kind of experiences with that state um you know kind of conflicted I I, I kind of had the best of both worlds because I had this weird side track as a child actor from like five to ten that was you know frankly just like happenstance thing that we fell into I feel like I've told this story so much in the last week or so um it's funny because I think most people didn't know I was a child actor until I started doing press for this movie. And then people like, you know, look you up and look into you and stuff. Um, but yeah, I was a child actor from Arkansas. My mom had like a friend we visited in LA who was working as an actress and her manager saw me and was like, Oh, we got to send him out on a commercial audition. So we did. And I booked it and I ended up doing a ton of commercials and then CBS signed me to a holding deal at like six years old. And I ended up on this sitcom called Hearts of Fire with John Ritter and Billy Bob Thornton and Marky Post and Leslie Jordan and Conchata Farrell and this really crazy cast. But then after that was over, uh, we just moved back to Arkansas. So I went to you know mid all middle school and high school in Arkansas. Um, but it did it definitely gave me a love of the business and a love of movies. And then, like I said, when I was like 12 years old, my mom just told the guy at the video store like let him rent whatever he wants. 
So, you know, I, I remember just watching like <laughs> Boogie Nights and Jackie Brown. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all these movies that are still some of my favorite movies. You know, all the Kevin Smith movies. I was such a fan of Chancey Amy. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, and that, that stuff made me want to be uh, a movie director. Um, so then I got, you know, at the time when I, when I was in high school, um, you know, it wasn't like comic books and genre culture were not mainstream then. Like, I, I don't know if like people that are younger now, like, like I'm 35, I turned 35 yesterday, but like the, the Avengers being cool is a pretty new phenomenon. Like I, like that was not the case for a really long time. Um, so I always felt like I didn't really fit in that much there because I was a guy that was into, you know, art films and comic books and stuff like that. So, and, and Arkansas is beautiful and I kind of have more of an appreciation for it now as an adult than I did as a kid because then I just felt kind of trapped, um, to be totally honest, and wanted to get out of there. And I ended up graduating high school a year early just because I was like, I know what I want to do. Like I wasn't like, you know, a lot of people go to college and are kind of searching for what they even want to do or major in or just kind of go. And I was like, no, I know what I want to do. Like I want to go to film school. So I um, I ended up leaving early and, and moving back to LA and going to, to Loyola Marymount to film school. Um, I think the original question was like, what do I think of Arkansas? Um, I, I, I love Arkansas. You know, my whole family's still back there and it's really beautiful, but it's, if you want to like hunt fish camp, be an outdoorsman, that kind of thing, it's, it's like paradise, but I'm more of an avid indoorsman. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't, I just don't, I just didn't work there, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, LA kind of feels more like home. Um, I mean, I mean, I've lived here way longer at this point than I ever lived in Arkansas, but um, Arkansas is an interesting place to be from. And this was something I wanted to get at in the movie too. And I liked about the book is, like the book had this great line, like, and I'm like butchering it and paraphrasing it, but it was like Little Rock keeps embarrassing itself. Like it wants to be like a tech hub and then it wants to be like the capital of the, the, the mid South. And like, it just doesn't know what it is. And, you know, Arkansas is kind of like that. Cause even though, even though it's the South, it's not like, it's not like that old Confederate, like feel of like Alabama or Mississippi or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or, and then Louisiana so much has its own vibe. Texas is like its own weird country. Um, and like Arkansas is kind of just in the middle of that. Like, you know, and I, like Oklahoma is kind of like that in a way too. Like Oklahoma doesn't, I feel like know if it's part of the South or the Midwest sometimes. Um, so I thought that was interesting just cause you just never really see anything set there except for like Sling Blade and Billy Bob's movies. Like you've kind of never just seen anything even, set there before or shot there that much um in like the present day so i i you know i just wanted to show like a version of 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 where i grew up that didn't feel like a cartoon um and it was just like you know it's not like people with overalls and no shoes on type of bullshit right Um, (laughs) (laughs) i think a lot of people you know they feel like that they they can't escape you know, where they're from. Like I live, I'm 44. I live 20 miles away from the hospital I was born in. And, you know, and I think that's true for most people though. 
And it's interesting what you say about like Little Rock because I live in Northern Virginia where it's very close to DC where I'm at. But like you go one county down and it's like, you know, there's Civil War, you know, reenactments and they're still kind of like they're still fighting for the South. You know, it's 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 interesting kind of like but Little Rock in in my hometown and there're probably like so many hometowns, you know, across the across the, you know, world that people kind of like really kind of weigh kind of do they want to move on or you know and sometimes they want to come back because it does feel like home or you know the the complicated feelings there yeah it is complicated and i know know, me and my brother lives out in la and is a writer my brother's in the movie he he plays uh the guy that kills malkovich in the movie right i I mean me and him both you know sometimes we both get homesick we want to go home and he goes home more to arkansas more than i do just because um I, i just haven't had a lot of time uh, lately other than like holidays and stuff but and he he's an avid like he hunts fishes all that stuff like loves it hikes um there's so much i love about it, i do miss i mean i miss the food i miss i miss the people you know the people are friendly um there is just like that warmth in the south that you kind of forget everywhere else doesn't do so arkansas was a poster premiere at south by southwest before that event got canceled and along with everything else due to coronavirus. Um, how bummed were you that, you know, your, the first movie you were directing didn't make it to a theater? Uh, I mean, pretty bummed. <laughs> <laughs> Not great timing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, it's personally devastating. And I know, you know, I know so many people are in the same boat with like missing, like they didn't get their graduation or prom. And um, so I don't, I don't want to like complain too much or feel too sorry for myself because these are still like super luxurious problems to have, but yeah, as a, as a guy from the South um, and a first time director, South by was South by was where I always wanted to premiere this movie. Cause I just felt like it would really play well there. And we had like a great, like, you know, Sunday night screening, like, you know, nine or 10 PM. Like it just would have been so fun. And South by is my favorite festival to go to just cause it's Austin's awesome. And it was devastating, man. And I mean, I, you know, one of my favorite things about living in LA is, is we have such great theaters that show that show small indie films all the time too. So like I, I was so looking forward to seeing my movie in a theater because I go and watch, you know, the bulk of like new release movies in theaters. So yeah, like on a personal level, that was pretty devastating because it's like, then at the same time you feel embarrassed, like I said, to even complain too much because there's people like sick and dying, but it's like, you know, you spend like a third of your life working on something. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to have to skip all the fun, all the fun parts. <laughs> Cause like that's, that's your victory lap, you know, and putting a movie out like the, the premieres and the parties and like, that's, that's the, like when you get to exhale, that's the catharsis. So yeah. it, it feels, uh, it felt weird. I mean, like the last couple of days, um, the last couple of days, like the weekend, for some reason, like the last weekend before, before the movie came out was really, I don't know. I was just, re- I was a mess. I was, I was really stressed and nervous. And it's, and I, re- I think part of it is that y- you didn't have that catharsis of getting to like, you know, show the thing and watch it and like, let go of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and too, you know, I think that that's the, the good thing right now. Cause like you have a captive audience though on streaming, you know, I think the trolls sequel kind of proved that you can have, you can have a hundred million dollar hit and it doesn't have to be in the theater. And I, you, you could still find an audience and, you know, the reality is for most of the country that's not New York and L.A., they're not watching these movies like my movie in a theater anyway. Like VOD is, yeah. is basically how they're watching anyway. Um, 
And I'm aware of that. I mean, the theater thing is more just like personal gratification as somebody that loves movies and is like dedicated their whole life to, to movies at this point. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, all, you know, it's, it's the movie's been out for like one at one day. And I think we were the last time I looked last night, we were already like the number five movie in the world on, on Apple and iTunes. Wow. And they made us their editor's choice, which is amazing. Um, and all the, pl- so many of the platforms have been giving us really great, support um for such a small movie which um makes me feel good and and may that may be the silver lining like you said is we do have this <laughs> you know captive captive so like, i hate to use the word captive because it makes it feel like you're like clockwork orange for some people to watch it but <laughs> but people people do need entertainment i mean everybody like people need escapism like i, I do think like I, i've always felt like art has a lot of value and and serves a, a big purpose in society. Um, so if I can, if I can distract people for a couple hours, you know, that, that kind of um, counteracts the guilt I feel about like self-promoting in the midst of, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> worst crisis we've all ever lived through. So uh, speaking of feeling captive, um, what are you doing to get through this? What are you binging working on doing to kind of keep yourself sane while you're stuck at home? I'm not. I just stare into space most days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the la- I mean, the last couple of weeks I've just been doing press and stuff for the movie, so that's kept me busy and been nice just to have some kind of semblance of work to do. Um, I'm a writer. My brother's a writer. He he's been um, staying living here with me at my house uh, during this too. So, you know, we work. Um, we, we I've got like three feature scripts ready to go whenever this ends. Um, got a pilot got a, an animated pilot I'm working on. Um, so, I mean, I, I've always got work to do. I, I paint. Um, I got into art a few years ago and started collecting and going to a lot of shows and just kind of got into art history and, and started painting just to keep from going crazy as an actor. Cause I, I mean, actors are sort of the most qualified to be um, quarantined. Cause like you're used to spending like six months unemployed at home. <laughs> so, I mean, this is nothing. This is like, you know, I could do this standing on my head a month. Um, so I paint. I've been cooking. I had to learn to cook. I'd never cooked in my life. It's like not even an exaggeration. I'd never cooked a meal. I just like, I mean, I like heated things, you know, like like canned goods and that kind of thing. But as far as like prepping, cooking a meal, I had just never done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the meal you're most proud of making during this quarantine? Man, I'm a, just kind of anything like just meat based. I've got pretty okay. Like I can make a pretty good steak, which I think the only trick to that is just buying expensive steak. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> just like if you want to, like basically the thing I realized about like the difference in my really good steaks, and my really bad steaks is like one was like, you know, one costs like twice as much per pound. Um, so I don't know if that's that much me, but um I make I make good chili. Um, I make incredible hamburgers at this point. Like I could run a Red Robin. I got like <laughs> fried eggs and bacon on there, and like chopped up jalapenos cooked in the burger. And um, yeah, my artisanal hamburger chain will be fun to open after this. So you are a wrestling fan. So you you've come to the right podcast because we're both we're both longtime wrestling fans. Um, but in folks on Twitter last week were kind of like sharing their top five wrestlers of all time. Who are yours? Oh wow. Um, I mean, Flair, Austin, Bret Hart, this is tough. Shawn Michaels, 
Um, I got to put Hulk Hogan. I know you're not supposed. I know we're not allowed to like Hulk Hogan anymore. But like, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I'm, I got to say, I'm surprised because you're wearing a Lex Luger shirt right now. I thought you would have said Lex Luger <laughs> He's like right six. away. Lex is six. <laughs> I do love Lex Luger. Um, I have a lot of Lex Luger merch. I've tried to. I like. I own basically all the like Luger and Steve Mongo McMichael shirts. Um, I have a buddy that has a an Instagram called Wrestling for Sale, and uh, he's like, he's like the premier dealer for vintage wrestling merch now, <laughs> like in the country. <laughs> so I've got so much good stuff from him that I wore in the movie. Like my character wore a lot of these. Like all all my characters' clothes in the movie are mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love Luger's merch, man. There was like that period, like WWF, like 92 to 94, all the shirts are just incredible. Like whoever their graphic designer was from like 1994 is a genius. Like they're, they're like beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and the shirt you're wearing right now, I think that's like the all American era for Luger, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is the Lex Express. I don't know. People aren't going to see this, but I'm wearing like a Lex Express. This is like after they lost Hogan and they tried to make Lex into Hogan. Yeah, the old WWF logo. Which adds, I love it's classic. it. Classic. Yeah. So I, so I, I kind of love like I know the Attitude Era is the most popular, but I kind of love, I love pre-Attitude Era WWE. Like I love the New Generation era WWF when it's like Yokozuna and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Diesel and I even love I even love like pre pre NWO WCW when it was like Hulk fighting the Dungeon of Doom. That's my favorite ever. Like these bizarre like like videos they used to make where like Kevin Sullivan's in a cave talking to mm-hmm. like that giant bald guy and like I, I just love that stuff. I love him in the monster truck on the roof in Detroit with the giant like yeah I, I like like 90, 92 to 96 is like my all-time favorite time period. It's like saying your favorite like decade for movies is like the 80s or something like I know it's like heretical but um that's just the truth but that's that but that's an interesting time though because like you had the 80s which is like that huge point in wrestling and then it's almost like everybody forgets that part and skips right to nwo attitude era right and yeah. there, and basically yeah because the peak was like what 85 to 90 is like the golden era like yeah mm-hmm. wrestlemania hulkamania years but they were really in the wilderness for a while there for like from like like i said basically like 90 to 97 well that was after the post-steroid thing like where everybody yeah, like yeah, felt, yeah. felt weird and there was no hulk hogan and like no one really knew what to do for a few years yeah um that said stone cold's my all-time fave uh love stone cold stone cold steve austin's the only guy i've ever asked for an autograph uh in in real life I, or the only person i've ever been kind of starstruck around when i was like 18 i, I saw him and uh, and asked for his autograph, and then I I met I got to I got to talk to him out at a party, uh, maybe I don't know four or five years ago, and I got to tell him that story. That was I was like, hey, just FYI, you're the you're the only person I ever asked for autograph. <laughs> he, uh, he seemed to get a kick out of that. Did you crack a beer with him? Yeah, I think we did actually. Yeah. Excellent. Was that a, is that a party? Uh, they used to do. They used to have SummerSlam out in LA um, every year for a while there. And they, they would always have these awesome parties beforehand where they'd rent out like the Beverly Hills Hotel pool or like the Roosevelt pool. And it was so surreal because um, it would just be like every wrestler that ever lived plus like whatever, you know, whoever the – it's the same group of regulars I see at Staples Center every time they come to town. It's like me and Skylar Aston and 
Rick Rubin and you know <laughs> like there's there's just like the, Mark Wahlberg's always there you always see Wahlberg like there's just the same kind of group of people that's always in the like the hard camera side there they put everybody it's it's hilarious have you been watching the the you know the kind of the Raws and the AEW Dynamites where where there's no crowd? I mean, what do you think of that? I watched the first couple of weeks. I love AEW. First of all, um, yeah, AEW is my favorite thing in a really long time, and I'm friends with um friends with Justin Roberts, their announcer, and um, a big fan of before AEW New Japan. I mean, I've I've always, I've loved New Japan basically since they started having the streaming service. I'm like that's my favorite thing. I, w- I went and saw me and my brother went and saw New Japan in LA. Uh, probably just a couple months ago, whenever that show was, they had one in downtown LA with like 500 people there. Um, but I had been a big fan of all the AEW guys when they were in new Japan. So yeah, just shout out to them in general, big fan of what they're doing. I think it's awesome. It reminds me of, it reminds me of the best parts of WCW that I loved as a kid. Um, the empty arena stuff is hard, man. I haven't watched the last couple of weeks to be honest. Like I, I reached a point where I realized it was kind of bumming me out. Um, not because of anything they're doing. I think the AEW empty arena shows are better than the WWE ones, to be honest. Like they just seem to have a better handle on how to do the empty arena. Like I don't, I don't know. They're just they're just more fun. Agreed. Yeah. But it's like I really don't want to critique anybody too hard right now because I just like it's such an impossible situation. It, um, it's just weird. Like it's just it's just a. Uh, I was trying to think of another comparison to even make it, it like. I don't know. It's like watching a dress rehearsal. It's just wacky. Like it just doesn't like you didn't realize how important the audience was like to the whole operation. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I can't even think of anything to compare it to like, because there's not really another like performing art that compares to wrestling that close as far as like reliance on an audience. Cause I feel like I could watch a, a, like a, a video recording of a play and it would not be that different almost. But, um, yeah, I miss the audience. I mean, I'm glad it's on TV because I'm glad to have something to watch. Um, you know, I want everybody to stay safe, obviously. And I like, I keep asking, like, like I'm friends with with uh, with Dolph Ziggler and The Miz. I'm always like, so are you just like terrified on these flights, or like, what's <laughs> how are you dealing with this? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just like, you know, they're just like big tough dudes, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm conflicted. I, I, I'm. I'm glad it's there. And as soon as I'm done doing all this press stuff, that's probably all sit I'll lay on my couch and watch for a few days, but I'll be glad to get the crowds back. I don't know what they're going to do though. Cause you can't just go dark for a year. Cause who knows when arenas, arena shows will be a thing. Like, right. I, th- I think it's interesting. I mean, I think, um, you know, like AEW, like the young bucks have been doing basically, no live audience, interesting stuff with there being the elite show for years now. So I think that's probably why they were so prepared um, and kind of more suited to like not having an audience. Um, Cause they were almost like, they were almost like weird indie filmmakers for wrestling as it was. Um, I thought the, uh, the John Cena Bray Wyatt thing at WrestleMania was pretty awesome. That yeah, that and the Boneyard match were great. Yeah. The Boneyard match is mostly just hilarious to me. Like, it was just like a Chuck Norris movie. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, um, I couldn't believe the John Cena Bray Wyatt thing, like something that artsy got through. I was like, this is really weird. This is like a, like a weird, like they snuck through like this, this short art film, like mm-hmm. this history of, of uh, like history of wrestling and like told through like John Cena's story. Yeah, I can't believe that thing exists. Like that alone was worth the empty arena WrestleMania. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, Clark, thanks so much for joining us. It was great. And uh, best of luck with Arkansas and everything else you got going on. Thanks so much, guys. Tell uh, everybody to go watch it now, everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, listeners, your turn. Are you going to stream Arkansas? Who are your favorite wrestlers? What's your favorite Lex Luger era in wrestling? Let's <laughs> talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet at us individually. I'm at Brett Molina 23 I'm at Brian Truitt. And don't forget, you can email us, too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. We're going to wrap it up here. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of The Mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other people find the show. We really enjoy the feedback. Everybody wins. If Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to pods. Until next week, nerds out. Stay at home. <laughs>